Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. I hope you enjoy this interview with the heavily armed clown from what the F happened in 1971. We get into a few stories that Colin's never shared before, so I hope you find this one really interesting. Thanks for coming on, brother. Before we do the show, I'm going to shill the uh, companies, the Bitcoin only companies that have uh, helped support the show. And give a shout out to uh, to coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. You can head there. That's a Bitcoin only exchange to start stacking your sats. Relay.ch forward slash bitten and swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. All of these guys are Bitcoin only and they want you to fiat cost average in a sensible way out of fiat into Bitcoin. All three companies are Bitcoin only. All three companies have a high focus on education and helping you understand Bitcoin and the rabbit hole. And they will hold your hand and navigate that journey with you. We've been here before and this is what they are excellent at doing. They are all brilliant Bitcoiners. Now, once you have started stacking some sats and you want to move to the next level, you need to get yourself a hardware wallet and you can get that from shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten that will get you a five percent discount choose their bitcoin only wallet the bitbox 02 bitcoin only edition then there's no noise in your life you are covered with bitcoin only companies looking out for the best for you enjoy this episode and thanks everybody for listening Okay, we're good. We're good to go. Heavily armed clown in the house. Great to uh, great to get to meet you, man. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm a big fan of your show. Actually, I listen all the time. Thank you very much. Great to hear. Now, um, now, Lauren, did you hear what I called him? Heavily armed clown. What do you think that would mean? Uh... <laughs> do you have a question about that name, perhaps? Why do you think he would call himself that? Uh, I don't know. You don't know? Well, there you go. There's a perfect question to ask him. I have a question already. You do? Yeah. I, okay. Well, I'll ask. Where, <laughs> how did you come up with heavily armed clown? What was the, uh, the thought behind that? Yeah, I get this question a lot. It's actually just an obscure reference to a, to a video game from like the 80s or 90s. Um, the, the Secret of Monkey Island, I think, is what it's from. Uh-huh. So you you well into retro games because you're clearly yeah. not from the so you know that <laughs> that game in particular has like a um a sentimental attachment for me because the the first game that I ever really remember playing and really being into was a one of the Monkey Island games that I played with my grandmother. Um so that series has always kind of held like a really special place in my heart and the reference is it's extremely obscure. It's like a really small part of the game and I just sort of 
latched onto it as an avatar years ago and it, and it really stuck. Um, and it's become my, my persona in the Bitcoin world. Excellent. All right. Well then Lauren, what was your question? My question was, so I heard that you have a company, is that right? A, a website? Yeah, a website. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, what does that website do? Okay, so... Actually, do you know the name of the website? Did I tell you that? <laughs> no, you no. didn't. WTF happened in 1971. WTF happened mm-hmm. in 1791. When you ask Colin what WTF stands for? I know what that means, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> That, that puts him on the spot. Okay, so you're good with that, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, then ask Colin, um, yeah, why he um, Yeah, so what did you, wait, what does that um, website do? Okay. Um, I think I know of a good way to explain this to you, but I need to ask you a question first. Have you ever heard of the Emperor's New Clothes? No. Have you ever heard that story? No. Okay, so basically, the Emperor's New Clothes is a story about, um, a a really good tailor. He's one of the best tailors in the world. And he comes to the King and he says, King, I've made these beautiful new clothes for you. And he holds up his hands and there's nothing in his hands. And the King, not wanting to seem like he doesn't know what he's talking about says, Oh yes, uh, these are, these are excellent clothes. I'll try them on right away. So he, he takes off all of his clothes and puts on this imaginary um, shirt and pants that the tailor made for him. And, you know, he doesn't see it. All he sees is he looks naked and he goes to his subjects and he says, hey, um, you know, how do I look? How do my new clothes look? And of course, they don't want to look like they don't know what they're talking about. So they just say, oh, king, those new clothes, they're so beautiful. They're amazing. So now the king thinks, well, surely there's something wrong with me. And I just don't know what I'm talking about because no one can see this beautiful um, new clothes that I'm wearing. So he goes out in front of all of his people. And all of the people say, oh, wow, look at the king's beautiful new clothes. But he's actually just walking around naked. And then one little boy comes up to the king and asks the king why he's naked. And suddenly everyone realizes that the king never had on any clothes. Right. So imagine that you um, lived your whole life and you always knew you went out and looked at the sky and you saw the sky and you saw that the sky was blue. And you always knew that the sky was blue, but everyone that you knew, your friends, your family, your teachers, all told you that the sky was green. But you knew because you see it every single day that the sky is blue, right? You would start to think that you were crazy or that you didn't know what the color blue looked like and that maybe everyone else was right and you were wrong. Um, My website basically shows people that the emperor has on no clothes. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Sorry. Yes, it does. But it doesn't, it's not talking about the emperor, it's talking about the, the, the financial system and um, what, we've, what we've experienced mm-hmm. since uh, 1971, WTF happened in 1971, mm-hmm. since we came off the gold standard and our money isn't backed by anything. It's just, okay. it's make-believe. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Do you have any more questions? Um... No. Okay. Well, <clears throat> say uh, good afternoon then to, to Colin. Good afternoon. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Bye. Thanks. Oh. Nice to meet you too. Thanks, mate. And congrats, because as we sat down, you were just saying uh, you were freaking out about something. Uh, do you want to drop that and let everybody know what's, what's just happened? Yeah. So I'm, I'm still trying to figure this out. Exactly. I, I don't know who these people are. I haven't heard of them. Um, 
Aker, A-K-E-R, acquired or just made the decision to enter Bitcoin through CT, S-E-E-T-E-E. Uh, and they put out a prospectus on Bitcoin acquisitions and uh, our website was actually listed in the footnotes in that prospectus. And this is something we just noticed. Uh, their first purchase was 1,170 Bitcoin. I, I think this is related to the Norwegian oil tycoon, but I'm not 100% certain if that's what's going on here. I haven't had the time to look into it. That's amazing, man. That's that's so great. And you guys have the support as well of River, right? You've got River now uh, helping you guys out and supporting the website. Yeah, yeah. No, River's been really great to us. Um, we we love uh, Alex Leishman and uh, and the team that's working with him. They're some great people, and they're really building some awesome Bitcoin products. You know, they they call themselves the White Glove Brokerage of of Bitcoin, and I think that they do a phenomenal job. So we were happy to. Um, you know, the incentives were aligned for us. We were happy to put their ad up on our site and they were happy to, you know, uh, give us some kickbacks for whoever we send their way. So that's been a great relationship. That's great, man. It's, um, and, and for me as well, that when I first saw that website and a big shout out to Checkmate at Checkmate, who's been on the show, he came on the show just before Ben did actually. Ben, your partner in crime, Mr. Cool, um, Mr. Cool, BP, isn't it? BP, yeah, it's just as initials. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I found the website because I was having a drink in a pub. Remember those days, mate? My goodness. Don't worry, we'll get onto that. I'm sure you've got a lot to say. Uh, I was having a drink in a pub January of last year with uh, a guy that I just met on Twitter, completely random, and his handle is at Checkmate. And he was doing a lot of at that time, a lot of deep dive analysis uh, around Bitcoin and putting out some really interesting content. And um, so we hooked up. We, we had a beer together, which turned into a few more and then a few more. And I think it was one of the first in real life, actual proper Bitcoiners uh, either of us had, had met because we just couldn't stop talking. You know, the, you know the score. And he said, have you seen that site? WTF happened in 1971. And I'm like, no, I haven't seen it. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And I remember getting home that, that night and looking at it and then looking at it again the next morning. And then by the time I get back from London to, to France, I pull it up here and I show my wife and we're going through it. And she's like, oh my God, look at that. Look at that. And that's when I knew how powerful that site was because generally if we talk about economic stuff or look at graphs, it's boring. She doesn't want to know. But this was very impactful and it's just great to see that you're getting the recognition for for the work you've done and if you're turning up on footnote of companies prospectuses that have obviously cited you as a resource to help them get over the line hats off man that's that's amazing you should be very proud thank you i wish i could say it was a master plan that i that i knew this would happen um it was sort of a happy accident really truthfully <laughs> and today is this an old tweet i i've so, somehow missed or did you tweet out today about the wef the, the world economic forum um somebody pointed out that zen that, zen boy or that zen boy i'm sorry i'm if i'm butchering your name I, I could look up what it actually is but he actually tweeted that and i retweeted it um because that's an amazing thing about that site now um uh, i i 
dig through like a lot of data just because it's what I like to do. Um, I think data is fascinating and I particularly like to dig through and find obscure data. Um, and that's really like what sort of kicked off a lot of what we have on that site, like the core of the charts were found by Ben and I, you know, just during late night discussions back and forth with each other. Um, but nowadays we can crowdsource a lot of new information for that site. And, and a lot of the new things that get added actually get sent to us um, via DM or tagged in tweets. Um, and it, it, the content actually kind of produces itself at this point. But that one, did you know about the World Economic Forum or was that, did that not? No, I actually, like it didn't. I actually didn't. I mean, I'm not surprised at all, but I actually had not heard that. It's amazing, man. Like formed in January, 1971. Excuse me, listeners. That's very annoying. That is my FaceTime pinging. Uh, you, you couldn't write a are, better story. Consumer professionals. Turn FaceTime off. Excuse me. Right, let's do that. Done. I'll do. I'll do just about the same amount of editing as Marty Bent does on his podcast. I think for, for so days. none, <laughs> none. You know, if you want to take a page we out of Marty's we book, you got to say, "Oh, we'll, we'll cut that out in post," and then you leave it in. <laughs> so we were before we were rudely interrupted. We were um, talking about. The website, W Economic World Forum coming on. Uh, yeah, like established in 1971. It's just, that cannot be coincidence, I don't think. Yeah, it's for sure. It seems like you couldn't write a better story about this type of thing. Like the, the conspiracies write themselves, don't they? It's, it's crazy. It, it, it just, I mean... And that's going to get us into like a deeper discussion right now about what, you know, what's been going on around the world in the last year. And I've been following, a, you know, a lot of your tweets and listening to your podcasts and you're, you're a lot younger than I and a hell of a lot smarter than I was when I was your age and probably even a hell of a lot smarter than I am now. And you, you've got a very unique look on the world, which I would love to know how you came to foster that. Where, where, where do you think that comes from? Um, I think it's a number of things when you, can, can you be more specific though? Like, you know, cause obviously we all have our stories, we all have our backgrounds and uh, each of them is unique and it contributes to, to who we are and how we think. Um, but is there something like more specific that you're referring to? Yeah. Your, your bullshit alarm. You managed to like see through bullshit almost immediately and be able to call it out. Yeah. Interesting. Very, you know, intellectually. Um, that probably started like at a really, cause at like at a really young age, I sort of just realized that all adults were full of shit. Not, not every adult. Right. But like most adults, um, sort of just like following the rules, going with the flow and, and doing things because quote unquote, that's the way it needs to be done. Or like, because I have no choice. Um, and noticing that as a really, at a really young age, uh, had a powerful effect on me. I think when I was like eight years old, um, I, I had brought a pocket knife to school. And, you know, I, I, had, I would, I always knew, like, I was always familiar, like, you don't bring weapons to school, right? You don't bring like, I didn't, wouldn't bring like a handgun or my BB gun. Um, Cause I grew up in the woods. I grew up around guns and weapons and killing squirrels and skinning them and cooking them over an open fire was just kind of how I was raised. And uh, my father taught me when I was a kid that knives were tools, right? 
So I carried my pocket knife with me everywhere. And I took it to school one day, uh, as I had done many days in the past. But this particular day, I showed it to the kid next to me, and he went and told the teacher. Um, and the next thing you know, like I'm in the principal's office, and I'm there, there's this grown man sitting at the table across from me asking me questions like, why did you do it? Who were you going to hurt? What were you going to do? And I'm just crying and I don't understand what's going on. And like, they're treating me like a criminal, you know, like this eight-year-old, they're treating me like a criminal because I broke some rule I didn't even know existed. Right. So long story short, like the knife gets confiscated and I have to go to all of these different hearings. Um, and, and I kind of just like saw through the whole thing. I'm like, this is really silly. Like, oh, you know, I told the truth. Like I, I did the right thing. Like I, I didn't try to hide anything. I told him exactly what happened and it was an honest mistake and I'm being punished. Um, and, and I had another event like that happen again, a little later in my life. Um, I don't really want to get into it, but it was a lot more serious. And again, I found myself getting put up for expulsion and I was like this perfectly well-behaved child, right? I had good grades. I sat quietly and I listened to my lectures because my father, you know, raised me with respect for authority and, and respect for adults. Um, so, you know, like I, I was that perfect student that sat still in class and not because I didn't, I would have rather been outside, you know, running around and killing squirrels and building forts. Um, but out of respect for my elders and my adults and my teachers, I would do what I was supposed to do. Um, and, I, and I realized, you know, like I realized that like a lot of the kids around me they, they weren't interested in asking questions. They were only answered, interested. They weren't interested in understanding or asking why. They were more interested in the right answers to the test. Um, and it really struck me. Like I always felt different than everyone else, but I always kind of knew that when I trusted my gut in those situations, um, particularly after those experiences that kind of woke me up to the system being a lie, um, I, I kind of just ran with that through most of my life into adulthood. Wow. So seeing through that system early probably set you up to look at the, the, the rest of the systems that you were ever going to come up against and, and question them pretty early as well. Yeah, it's actually gotten me into a lot of trouble in my life. Um, <laughs> okay. I, 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 can't, I can't really get into like too many specifics right now. I wish I could. Um, maybe later in the future, like I'll be able to share more about like some of the things I've been through like in, in my adult life. Um, actually, you know what? I'll... I'm just going to say this. I've never said it before. So um, when I was in college, I've, I've never said this publicly, and maybe it's a mistake to say it publicly, but when I was in college, I decided the one thing that I wanted to do, because um, I thought I could save the world by working for Uncle Sam. So I decided that I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. So I spent five, four or five years of my life um, training to become a Navy SEAL. I switched majors in college to exercise physiology. I dedicated like my entire life to like preparing and training to go and try and become a Navy SEAL so that I could kill all the bad guys and make the world a better place. Um, long story short, I spent like a year in that training pipeline and I ended up washing out and not becoming a SEAL. And that's like a whole long story in and of itself, but it was full of all kinds of bullshit. Um, and just like being in the military is full of all kinds of bullshit. And I washed out of that program and here I am like, highest aptitude scores you can possibly get, you know, like to get into the military and I have a college degree and I'm enlisted cause I was an idiot and I wanted to try to be a Navy SEAL and go be a bad guy hero. And, um, the next thing I know, like I'm out in the middle of the Arabian Gulf on this ship and it's like in the middle of the night and I'm doing a job that I hate and I'm away from my wife. Um, and I started reading, I, I read, uh, Ron Paul's on the fed and I read the road to serfdom by F.A. Hayek. And I remember sitting under the the red lights on the ship in the middle of the night reading F.A. Hayek. And uh, I thought to myself, I fucked up. 
like I really fucked up. Like I am not, my actions are not really in line with like the reality of the world. And, and it was like everything that I thought I ever believed about, you know, I patriotism and nationalism and the good guys and the bad guys. And it, it was all so much more complex than I had been led to believe. And I was like watching my entire world just collapse around me. Um, and, and I sort of like rebuilt myself, um, you know, through like an understanding of economics. I, I read every single Austrian economics book I could get my hands on. I still do that to this day. I'm, I just tear through those things because it's so fascinating, right? The way those guys understand how the world actually works. It, it just blows my mind. Um, and, and it makes sense. Like it makes sense intuitively. Austrian economics is, is intuitive. It, it comes from first principles. So it's, it's really simple. Like when you read that, you sort of think to yourself, oh yeah, I knew that. You know, whereas like Keynesian economics and academic economics is sort of complex and arcane and it doesn't make sense. And you sort of think to yourself, well, I don't understand that really exactly. But like somebody smarter than me understands it or else they wouldn't be talking about it. And it, it's just nonsense. Like it's just total BS. That's all part of the charade, right? That is that that's the perfect the perfect play, because when you you know, I, I look at my my parents generation. Uh, the boomer generation and they'll still sit in front of the television at 10 o'clock at night and put on tune into the local news and they'll have the chief economist of whatever central bank whatever country you're living in come out and talk and they'll believe he's they'll believe him because they think it's too difficult for them to understand because every time they've touched on Keynesian economics in the past it doesn't make sense and you can't figure out why you just assume it's oh it's because I'm stupid and those guys are smart so it's best that they just do it Whereas Bitcoin and Austrian economics is intuition. It's as basic as it gets. And economics, you know, again, people think about economics as, oh, it's just the monetary system or GDP or, or whatever. But what we've come to understand from studying Bitcoin and Austrian economics is, is, is everything. It's like human action. It's right. the, the whole economy, the global, it's not just the numbers. It's the individual actions of what people uh, do on a, a day-to-day, um, th- th- their whole life, throughout their whole life. Yeah. It's a mind blower. So you're, you're laying out in the Arabian desert on a, on a ship and all of this is clicking into place. Exactly. Man, that must have been... So when, when you look back as well, where, where do you think the patriotism and nationalism starts when does that start getting drilled in um, so surreptitiously or subconsciously right and and let me be clear um when i say patriotism i i don't necessarily mean blind loyalty to a flag um for me you know at, at a young age even though like i would say the american educational system is not very good i i've learned you know a magnitude more uh in my adult years in my own self-study than i ever could have learned uh, as a kid and, and school. And I was always a big reader too. Like I read a lot on my own. Um, when I was younger, it was more not, it was more fiction, but as I got older, it, you know, it was almost exclusively nonfiction. Um, and, and my independent study, you know, is, is really what's shaped my view of the world more than anything that, and, you know, like convert intellectual conversations with my father or like other men in my life that I respected. And I was very fortunate to have that. And, you know, my dad's not perfect. No one is, but, um, he, he's definitely been, 
a big influence on helping shape like how I think and who I am and standing up for myself and, and believing in my gut and those types of things. And, and like, you know, when I see an opportunity going for it, those types of things. Um, so when I say patriotism, nationalism, you know, more than anything, what I mean is uh, a respect for the, the liberty and the, um, you know, life, liberty, personal property, pursuit of happiness, what, what was supposed to be the foundational framework of the United States. Uh, and, and when you're a kid in America today, you're sort of presented this idea that like, oh, yes, we still have that. We're still the best. We're still the greatest. Um, and everything that we do is to fight and defend for those core principles. Um, and it was that lie that I had bought into, right, that this wonderful founding document upon which the United States Republic had been built and all of the principles that it was based on were still here and ever present in our society today. And um, just, just, we're just here like proliferating it and, and tending to it and making sure that we keep it. And that's why we have to fight off all of these enemies and have this, you know, trillion dollar war machine. And that's why you need the federal reserve. And that's why, you know, you, you have to basically just get in line and be a good cog in the machine because uh, we have to protect this order of liberty. And it's it's just a lie. It's just complete nonsense. So when you, um, it, it makes me think about what, you know, how how we can be shaped into to forming behaviors throughout our whole lives. And of course, in the state education system, that's when you, they get you first and foremost. In here in France, they've just mandatorily made it. Um, they've made it mandatory from the age of three that your kids are going to have to start going to like state school. Uh, we mm. choose to um, to opt out of the. It's easier for us because we're still in air quotes visitors to the country. It's a lot harder for the people, you know, the French people here that mm -hmm. you know, and, and the culture runs very, very deep. Um, man, three years of age like they're going to be systemized and that state curriculum is going to stick with them and shape their behaviors for the rest of their lives. Uh, and this is happening around the world. And I know in the U S um, there's the pledge allegiance to the flag, isn't there? That's mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the, every morning. The, from what age is that? Whenever you're old enough to start going to school. Wow. And we lived in Singapore and they had the national anthem. So even if the kids were walking across the, the, the schoolyard, the playground, the national anthem would play at the same time every single day. And you had to stop and stand. The kid that, you know, the kids had to stop, stop mm -hmm. walking towards their class and just stand there and listen mm -hmm. to it for the minute and a half, however long it was. And when you're in that, you don't question it. You're just like, oh yeah, it's just the way it is. You have no idea like the, the psychological effect that that's truly going to have on, on a young person's mind throughout the rest of their, their journey through life. It's, it's, it's pretty mad. That actually reminds me, I remember probably being maybe nine years old and uh, turning to my friend one morning after the Pledge of Allegiance and saying, well, why do we say the pledge every morning? What are we so proud of? And it, you know, like, like kids do, he wasn't interested in answering that question or asking it with me. He was more interested in making fun of me for not conforming. He, you know, he's like, oh, he doesn't, he's not proud to be an American. And he's like, you know, pointing at me and, and telling everyone around me that I'm just not proud and that I, I don't get it. And like, of course I didn't, you know, even, and I wasn't even conscious of like why I was questioning it that, 
questioning that at that age. Um, but those, those seeds were clearly already there. I think, you know, I think really what it comes down to is like some people are independent thinkers and some people are not. Um, and, and some people sort of like discover that at, at a later point in their life when, when that natural curiosity is sparked by something. Um, that's really what it is. That's something that I think I've always had that I don't see in everybody else is like a natural curiosity, a hunger for truth, right? Because truth is, um, truth is polar. Truth is objective. You know, you can't have truth and untruth existing at the same place and at the same time. It's, it's not possible. And I think there's like, um, the, the moral relativism and, you know, the things that like Ayn Rand talks about, um, uh, and I forget, what is it called? Um, Neo, American Hoddle wrote the article about it, um, some form of progressivism. And, and it's like a form of relativism where, you know, like there, there are, there is no truth. There's only degrees of truth. Um, and some things are true, you know, in different circumstances, but untrue to other people. And, and it's just total nonsense. Like it just, and it sort of like bleeds its way into academia and it bleeds its way into science and it bleeds its way into economic policy and it bleeds its way into legislature. Um, and it's very destructive to ignore truth. You ignore truth at your own peril. Yeah, and there's a great saying, which I'm bound to butcher. I think I, I borrow it from Breedlove, which obviously he borrows it from from whoever came up with it first. It sounds very uh, kind of Buddhist-like, but the, you know, there are three things you can't hide, the sun, the moon, and the truth, which is so damn true. It, mm. All of this, all of these truths at some stage have to come home to roost. And here we did, and this is obviously what, binds bitcoiners together because you are looking for truth you you, you, you the, the the search for truth and this this feeling of i just want to be free of this of these lies and of this system that's been you know built up around me and i've been forced to live through and i felt the freedom the true freedom when we left I left my career. We left Singapore seven years ago, actually, to the day, randomly enough, and started to travel with the kids and, and world school the kids. So we took education into our own hands. And that opened up a lot of questions and realizations. But because we had left a country that we weren't natively born to, it was just another expat family leaving you know, Singapore. Nobody really cared. We'd not lived at, at that point. We hadn't lived in the UK for 15 years. So nobody really cared. And we were bouncing around countries every other two weeks to four weeks, whatever it was. And so you, we were like eternal tourists for two and a half years. And that was the closest I think we'd ever have got to freedom because we, we weren't under anybody's jurisdiction. We weren't under anybody's tax code. We didn't owe rent to anybody. We were home swapping with people. So we were meeting amazing people. And it just gave me this 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 taste of, wow, like that. This is way more, I think, what life should be like. This is way more like freedom. And then, as soon as we stopped after two and a half years of living life like that, we we found a place to rent in France. We wanted the kids to to learn French here. And then, man, just trying to get back into a system, oh, mm. it's it's really binding, but. There's something you said as well about you always respected authority, but always had a healthy question mm -hmm. to authority. Mm -hmm. Where's that gone in people? Hmm. I, you know, it's 
Well, I mean, I think you answered it yourself, you know, like if we're sending children to state indoctrination camps from the age of three, you know, like, let's be honest, there, there are some good teachers in the world. There are plenty of good people across all walks of life, right? There are plenty of average people across all walks of life in every job. And there are plenty of not so great people in every job across every walk of life. Like wherever you're at, you know, the listener, they're there. They're around you. You see them. You know the difference. You can identify it intuitively. You feel it in your gut when you meet a person, you know, what, what they're like. And obviously, you know, sometimes those judgments are mistaken or based on a false premise. But nine times out of 10, like your, your intuition tells you enough about a person when you shake their hand to know um, where, they, where they fall. And, you know, you're sending all the, your kids to these public institutions and they might get a pretty good teacher. They might not. Certainly that teacher is not going to care about their students as much as a parent would for their own children. And they're not going to have the same motivations, you know, to instill in them um, morals. Like I've been writing a piece recently and the way I sort of sum it up uh, is that morals are a typified system of behavior that anchor, you know, action to consequence. If you have an understanding of the way, you know, outputs of your behavior emerge, you know, from everything to monetary policy to how you speak to your parents, you know, then you're going to have, uh, you're going to live under a moral code that, that sort of respects those boundaries, that respects that output, the consequence of action. Uh, if, if you're immoral, right, you're going to three sheets to the wind, you don't care. Uh, you're going to behave however you want in the moment. You're a slave to your emotion. Yeah. When are you dropping that piece? Um, hopefully soon. I'm, I'm trying to get more peer review on it. And, it, and it's tough, right? Um, it's tough because I'm, I'm making a lot of claims in that piece of writing that even some of my close friends who I respect gratefully, gr- greatly don't agree with me. And I think that's okay. I think that's a good thing, you know, to, to have healthy criticism and skeptics, you know, especially from people that you um, respect intellectually and respect personally. Um, you know, I, I believe in God and I know not a, like there's plenty of Bitcoiners out there who don't. And, um, you know, that's that's their own decision to make. And I'm not here to beat a Bible over anyone's head or anything. But I, I believe in God and I believe that, you know, um, the way that we behave manifests natural consequences in the world uh, just because there's there's a natural order. There's a natural law of existence. Right. And you see this like in the rise and fall of societies across history. Right. You see these societies that turn away from sound wisdom, from prudence. Um, and, and, you know, you see like the currency starts to get debased because all currency debasement is, is legalized theft that's moralized by the institution. Right. And it has all of these extremely destructive consequences that manifest themselves across society. And it just feeds upon itself and it turns into an Ouroboros and it just completely destroys the system. And uh, I believe that that's just sort of a product of, of God's law. Right. Because if you read the Bible, there's all of these aspects of morality, right? These codes of behavior that basically just tie a person to the outputs of their action. And yeah, you just said something very, very, um, well, did did you see the Wall Street Journal this morning? I can't say that I did, no. Their their tweet, uh, like the headline is something ridiculous, something along the lines of uh, the weekend's action has just pulled millions out of poverty or so, or something like that. Okay. You know, yeah, I did see that. Oh my God. Biden and you just said it. People. Yeah. Right. Legalized theft, moralized by the institution. 
And this is exactly what's going on. And that, yeah, go go back and read Bastiat. Bastiat was dealing with it, you know, after the French revolution, it was, it was the same exact thing that we deal with today. And his arguments were exactly the same. And the people on the other side of the arguments for him were exactly the same. Wow. All right. I want to ask you about the last year and the craziness that's been going on. Um, and in the States, uh, in particular, um, I can't even really think of the timeline because it's just been such a crazy year. But did the, um, the, 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 the murder of the, um, the, the, the police murder, did that happen before COVID really started blowing out or was it around the same time? I think it was right around the same time because a lot of people were speculating that he had potentially died of COVID or that they were going to say that he had died of COVID to cover up the police brutality. Holy, I mean, wow. So anyway, so a lot of stuff to unpack there and I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, what was going on with, with that particular situation because looking at it from Europe, all of a sudden, America just was crazy. What we were being fed, um, the, the the riots, um, Antifa, Black Lives Matter movement, all of this. And I could not get a handle on it at all. Mm-hmm. So I know you had some some good conversations about it and um, some some Twitter threads and, and whatever else. And your bullshit alarm was was certainly ringing. <laughs> So yeah. with, with, um, with hindsight now, um, you know, what was going on then, how it made you feel at that point and what's going on now, and you've had the time to reflect, how is it playing out in your head now? Like, um, what, what are you thinking and uh, how does it kind of? Well, I think it would be good to rewind just a little bit before, um, before COVID and before like the George Floyd thing. Because um, I recall, you know, like at the beginning of 2019, the bond yield curve inverted and very few people pay attention to those types of metrics. It's just the honest truth. Um, Not only did the bond bond yield curve invert, but there was historically low unemployment, right? And if you study economics, if you study macro, you know that those are two of the leading indicators. Like this is all by research put out by, you know, like the St. Louis Fred, the St. Louis Fed uh, on their Fred website. Like those two things, tend to correlate with upcoming recessions, like in the next 12 to 18 months. And that was in the beginning of 2019 when that uh, yield curve inverted. And I remember having a conversation with a coworker right around that time that the yield curve inverted and I was showing it to him. And I was saying, look, look at this, like look at all the historical trends. Every single time this thing inverts, there's a recession. Like th- there's a recession coming and it's gonna be soon and it's gonna be really bad because our debt to GDP is so high. And like we have, you know, $20 trillion of negative yielding debt in the world. Like there's nowhere for them to go with this except printing money. Like they, they can't take interest much lower than it already is. They're just going to have to QE and print money. That's the only way out of this. They, they, they may never be able to raise rates again. Like, look, they just tried to taper a little bit and look at what, look at what's about to happen. You know, he, he didn't see it. He didn't understand. He's like, yeah, um, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. You know, I, I just sold all my Bitcoin and I just used it to buy stocks. I'm like, no, what are you doing? That's the opposite of the, what you need to do right now. 
because this was like the local bottom for Bitcoin. Like he sold all his Bitcoin at like three thousand dollars and oh. plowed it all into stocks. You know, it's this local top for the S and P. I was like, man, you don't want to understand. Like, yeah, I know you don't want to understand. But um, so fast forward, right? And and now we have you know this COVID thing. And it, for, at first, it's only happening in China. And I remember this because I was one of the few people paying attention to it at the time. Like you're seeing all these videos coming out of China of like people falling over dead on the streets and like people getting welded into apartment buildings and like just all kinds of crazy stuff. And of course, the average American at the time was like, oh, it's not going to come here. It's not a big deal. Everyone's overreacting. Why are you even talking about this? Um, and at first I was I was very scared about what might happen. Like I was I was pretty terrified just based on the footage that I was seeing come out of China. Uh, and then it comes over to the United States. Um, you know, I think pretty quickly, those of us who have the bullshit alarms, we're kind of like, oh, this is just the flu. Like it's, it's not, yeah, maybe it's potentially a little bit more deadly than the regular flu we had last year, but this is really just another kind of flu. Um, and yeah, like some people are dying from it, but people die from things all day, every day. Um, and then you watched it just get twisted into this hysteria, this madness, like this narrative shift, this constant narrative shift. Um, you know, one day it was masks don't work. And the next day it was like, you have to wear a mask everywhere you go. And it doesn't matter what it is. It can be like a t-shirt. As long as you wear that mask, you're safe. And then everyone is, and then we shut down the entire economy. I just thought it was awfully convenient um, that it comes on the back of what was potentially the, the greatest coming monetary crisis of our time. Uh, and it was going to require a huge and unprecedented liquidity injection to keep the market solvent. How convenient, right? That, that this moment comes along um, and they can shut down all the economy and, you know, talk to a random person, ask them why the economy was so bad the last year. They'll say, oh, it was because of COVID, right? They have no idea that this was coming from a mile away. So, you know, it's awfully convenient. And I, I've said since the beginning, and I, I still say this now, even in retrospect, that no institution, no, no matter who they are, whether or not they're the WHO or the CDC, can possibly have enough information to make decisions for people at the local level. It is simply impossible. And I've always advocated that, you know, maybe those institutions have their place. I don't think that they do. Um, but certainly, I believe that some people make the argument that they do. I think that individuals should be responsible for making decisions at their local level. And if people in Florida don't want to shut down their state, let them live their lives. If people in New York collectively decide that they want to be slaves and stuck in their homes and, you know, have to lose their businesses and be reliant on their collectivization of their wealth, you know, whatever, more power to them. But I don't want that in my life and that shouldn't be forced upon me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more that there was such, it was the convenience of the whole thing was truly amazing. Uh, the, the amount of stuff that was going on in the world at that point, uh, like the, the huge riots in Hong Kong uh, had been going on for, for weeks mm -hmm. at, at that mm -hmm. point. Um, you know, Brexit was still raging at that point. There, there was all so much stuff that was conveniently just swept under the rug and the perfect excuse to pin, print trillions upon trillions of dollars or pounds, or euros, and it was, and, and here we are, right, and, yeah, and, and it's still ongoing, and the, the and riots, it's just incredible, the riots are the, the reaping of seeds of cultural revolution that have been planted into American culture, and American society, and American education for the last two, three, four generations, 
you're watching the the yield of that that planting of those seeds come bear fruit. Um, that that's really what that is, and it's it's you know like th- this is how out of touch the average American is, Daniel. Like y- you ask them about the Hong Kong protests, and they'll be like, yeah, you know they they were fighting for the same things we were, like the types of people that were out on the streets looting stores and smashing buildings and burning things down, like, or in support of that, right? Either, even if you weren't out there doing it, like plenty of people voiced support for that cause and that the methods were totally justified. They actually believe that they're on the same side as the people in Hong Kong fighting the oppressive communist regime trying to take over their country. The Hong Kongers don't want a cultural revolution. They don't want communist dictators. They want to remain a free and open society. Hong Kong's long been one of the freest and most prosperous you know, societies in the world but because they place liberty so close you know, to the way they live their lives. Um, and yeah, like there's a lot of problems in Hong Kong. Like the average person my age, like can't even afford like an apartment. They literally sleep in like a hammock in a shed because that, and that's all the space they have because the real estate's so expensive in Hong Kong. Um, but they were fighting for the exact opposite of the things that people in America are fighting for. The, the reforms, the revolutions, the cultural revolutions, the deep-seated Marxist uh, narratives and agenda, the, those things are so dangerous and so destructive, but they don't teach any of that in the schools and the people, they just don't understand that that is the road to serfdom, so to speak. So when, when that, when that happened, the, uh, the, um, the George Floyd murder, and you were, you're sitting there watching that, um, just incredible. Uh, Like, um, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I just couldn't, uh, that, that video of, of of the the police officer kneeling on the, uh, on his neck, um, and just thinking, first of all, this is going to cause a huge riot. They're, they're bound to march on the police station here. You, you just like that, that that is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then how that all unfolded. Can you just try and help like uh, my European brain set or British brain set um, mindset kind of figure out what what have these seeds that you're talking about that have been planted? What, what is going on? Can you help us unravel and, and kind of understand a, a bit deeper? Sure. I mean, it's, it's a total reversal of reality, right? I mean, uh, people, people are out of touch with this, right? But what they need to do is go and read some of Thomas Sowell's work. They need to go read discriminations and disparity. They need to read um, black liberals and white rednecks or white, white liberals and black rednecks. They need to read, um, you know, Intellectuals Within Society by Hayek. Um, all of these books will like shed light on so many of the narratives that we have today. Um, they're, they're just completely backwards and they're completely opposite. And I, and I don't want to speak too much to it with getting into specifics because I don't want to do it a disservice. Um, but just this, this narrative, there, there's a lot of guilt in the West and it's, it's very much misplaced because, um, you know, in a lot of ways, America sort of pioneered this idea of um of equity across society of equality across society um and and there's there's so much you could get into here like you could go back to the civil war and you know the civil war was a really complicated political machination of early america um and and there's the whole thing like between states rights and like 
you know, the, the, what the framers of the constitution had in mind. And like, you could go back and look at like Jefferson and Madison's Virginia, Kentucky resolution. And like, you know, the South seceded, South Carolina seceded because of tariffs. It really had nothing to do with slavery. And then there was like this westward expansion. It's really complex and, and you really have to dig into it to understand it. But really, you know, you go back and look at like America in the eighties and in the nineties, you know, you were looking at a society that had pretty much demolished systemic racism and, and, in a lot of ways, after the um, the desegregation, like in the 60s and the 70s, um, and this push for like affirmative action and this push for like equal representation, equal outcome rather than equal opportunity at the gate. Um, this is something Thomas Sowell talks about a lot. Um, you actually saw a regression, like in, in the progress of some of these more minority historically oppressed um, communities, like whenever everyone was suddenly trying to push you know, these people to the front, even though that they hadn't gotten there on their own merit, um, it had a lot of really damaging effects, like on the educational system, right? Because if you're promoting, you know, this professor to a, to a position just because of the color of his skin and not because he's the best person for the job, well, then you're doing a disservice to the students that he's teaching. And now they're going to grow up with like misperceptions about the world because the person who taught them, you know, wasn't qualified to be the teacher. He just got the job because of his skin color. This is what Thomas Sowell talks about a lot. Um, and, and he is an African-American, right? And like, see, he had a pretty good perspective on these things. Um, so what, what you're seeing now uh, with this cultural Marxism emerging in America, this cultural revolution, which is the same exact thing that you saw in China, the same exact type of thing you saw in Weimar, the same exact type of thing you saw like in the collapse of really any society before it goes through one of these major transitions. Um, you're watching this fruit come to bear. You're people that have no grasp on reality and are just consumed by identities and they're very self-conscious and they're, they're consumed, you know, they, they want to point a finger at everyone else. They're, they're totally um, void of introspection, totally void of any understanding. And they're loud and they have a voice and they just want to, they just want revolution. That's really all it is. They just want change. They're unhappy. They don't know why their quality of life is getting worse. They don't understand it. You know, everything that they've ever been told to believe is, is wrong, especially like the simplest things like how money works, right? It's all wrong. And they don't know why they're so mad, but they're out in the streets and they're destroying stuff because they want change. Fix the money, fix the world. Right. It's so true, right? It's it's amazing. Like, um, and what's you know, it brings us back to this printing of cash and this this announcement over the weekend. People are going to think that's going to solve the problem, and then a day later, hasn't solved the problem, and the angry mob are just going to keep rising up. Yeah, I forget what the exact number was, but someone was saying that this new stimulus bill that they've passed, you know, adds $5,700 of debt to each American's plate, uh, but gives them, you know, what, like $2,000 in return or in exchange, 1400 $1, or whatever the number is per person. But it, you know, because of the total cost of the bill, you know, because it's just filled with political pork and kickbacks. And, and again, it's, it's moralized, legalized theft. That's all it is because you're taking capital purchasing power and resources away from the individuals in the society who have accumulated it and you're redistributing it. Man. So did you, when, when did you find the Bitcoin rabbit hole? Obviously you found um, you, you've, you've explained how you found um, uh, reading those books when you're out yeah. in the, uh, the Persian Gulf, but at what point did Bitcoin present itself to you then? Yeah. So it was, it was sort of alongside, um, 
it, it was interesting because I read through, you know, probably Ron Paul's on the Fed, the creature from Jekyll Island, the road to serfdom, maybe Henry Hazlitt's book. Um, before I had really like understood Bitcoin, I was interested in Bitcoin, but it was only because at the time I was trading penny stocks. This was like maybe 2016, 2017. I was trading a lot of penny stocks and I'm like, oh, hey, lots of people are getting rich on this Bitcoin thing. It keeps going up. So like I just started trying to get some and then I started learning more about it. And suddenly, you know, it, it took a long time to really understand Bitcoin. It, it takes it takes a lot of work to really understand. And I think Bitcoiners, you know, especially in the last two or three years, have done a really good job Um really hashing it out, you know, like what it means, what its implications are, how it fits into our understandings of human action. Um, so I, I had kind of discovered Bitcoin alongside like my early journey into Austrian economics. I definitely found that first. Uh, and then as I just got obsessed with Bitcoin, you know, as, as you do, um, I realized I was like, oh, this is it. Like, this is what, this is what all those writers had talked about. This is what Hayek meant when he said, you know, he might not have known it implicitly, but this is what Hayek meant or explicitly. This is what Hayek meant when he said, you know, the only way that we can ever have a sound money again is if we find a way to take the hang thing out of the hands of government. Right. And, and he could have probably never envisioned that that thing would be Bitcoin. Right. But it is, it obviously it is. How bullish are you? I'm probably more, I'm, I'm more bullish than Bitcoin Tina. <laughs> now that is bold claims, but, um, no, I mean, it. no, no, Tina, you're I, getting I'm, bearish, man. Like your, your global currency, um, predictions that you keep pushing them to the right. Like I, before he was saying like, Oh, within eight to 12 years, everyone in the world will own Bitcoin. And now he's saying like 13 to 25 years. No, 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 no. It's happening way faster. Too bearish, man. Too bearish, Tina. You heard it here first, and uh, <laughs> there you go. So, what? Um, what? You you mentioned a, a coworker earlier. Do you ever talk about um your your day to day job? Your, is it a fiat job, or are you? Um... Yeah, no, I don't really want to get into that. Fair uh, enough. I I am planning to transition to um, computer programming here in the next year or so. So. Um, hopefully that transition goes well, because I would love to work like in Bitcoin or in, you know, open source software or something of that nature. Cause I like that a whole lot more than what I do now. So that was my question. Where do you see yourself fitting into the, um, in the Bitcoin ecosystem? Because I don't know if you're following uh, Bitcoin jobs, the, the Twitter account at Bitcoin jobs, they're posting all the time for, mm -hmm. for new, and this is going to be an explosion over the next 18 months and then even and people are going to think oh when the, if excuse me if the next bear cycle comes around uh people are probably going to think oh all those jobs will go away but we know the opposite happens right that's when things start getting built that's when companies start emerging and that's when the real work starts happening the, it's the big spike in prices that's that's when it gets crazy and you know, people can take their eye off the ball. <clears throat> Services might not be as good as people thought they were. So it's those quieter periods where there's going to be a lot more jobs coming on online. Do you see yourself hopefully trying to um, get yourself into a, a Bitcoin position? I, I would love nothing more, man. I mean, like Ben just did that. I don't know if you know, but he just started working full-time in Bitcoin. And he's telling me every day, he's like, it doesn't even feel like work because this is what I normally do like in my off time. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, there. there's 
not a lot of people who can say that they, you know, do what they love and they love what they do. And that, that's probably one of the biggest blessings that you can have. Um, and again, you know, I, like I point to the Bible where uh, it says that there's nothing greater for a man to do than to find joy in his work. Right. And, and I really do believe that. Um, and when you're working a job that's just crushing your soul because you hate everything about it and it's fake and you know, it's fake and you know, it doesn't matter, you know, find something that matters. And I'm trying to do that, you know, in about a year, I hope to be there. I hope to be working full time at Bitcoin. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I spoke to Ben about that, that announcement. That was very cool. And a uh, big shout out to, there's another, uh, he's not, he's not particularly well-known podcaster. I think Ben's working for, is that, is that correct? Yeah, I don't, I've never, I don't remember his name. It was like Padre or something like that. Pero, yeah, I, I can't remember. But uh, no, for for those that don't know, Ben Ben is helping Peter McCormack out on the What Bitcoin Did podcast and his Defiant show as well, which is excellent to see that Peter managed to find someone who has the the passion that, that Ben does. And I've just been, I've just realized actually, mate, um, I kept hearing a clicking and I thought there's something wrong with my audio. But do you have a pen or something in your hand? That oh, uh, am I doing that? Yeah, that must be. Yeah. Me. Sorry, <laughs> I have nervous habits. Something else to not edit out. That that yeah. one is another one for Marty. Apologies. Uh, so, <laughs> mostly well, to the listeners. We, yeah. <laughs> what? Um, well, let, let's head up the last question. If you had one orange pill left to give to someone, who would you give that to and why? Yeah, I mean, how do I beat Michael Saylor's answer on this? Richest man <laughs> in the world, of course. I mean, <laughs> duh. None of us thought of that. Um, probably then my he actually dad. went and did it. Probably my dad. Because like, I feel like my dad gets it. Or like, you know, like my grandfather or something like that. Because I'm scared for them, man. <laughs> I really am. Like I, these people who have lived their whole lives on you know, with the, the 60, 40 fixed income thing and bond portfolios. And it's, it's scary. Like it, or, or like to whoever the current president is, right. Or like what, like whatever it would take to just get as many people in the lifeboat as I possibly can, you know, to avoid the fallout of what might be coming. Um, I don't know particularly the people I care about, you know, is the ones I'm most worried about. But if, if all of when all of society gets in trouble, like look out. <laughs> yeah, it's um, you, you you're right with the like the, the granddad kind of call to to be honest because yeah that generation man they 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 did the forty fifty years at the same company right that that was that was their script that was their game plan it's different now um, for. Even for for my age group, maybe maybe you'd get the the one company guy that does the 40, 50 years in the one sector. But for for younger people uh, of your generation and certainly of my kids' generation, it's going to be all project work. It's going to be you know you, you work for multiple different comp- uh, companies in multiple different locations, and hopefully you'll be location independent. You'll be able to work from a laptop and work on projects that you love, and you can choose to work on and put your skills and, and leverage your natural abilities. Uh, but for that generation, man, that they would, they were tied to desks. They had to do the commute and grind it out and pay the man the whole time, not just in the tax, like they paid with a lot, a lot of time was sacrificed never to be seen again. Right. So, and, to have and you were that, loyal to your company too. Like you didn't mm-hmm. hop around like you do today. Yep. 
So to have that ripped away from you in the last 10 to 15 of your life, when you're trying to, that, that's, that was the rainbow, man. That was the pot of gold. You, they were sold. And to have that devalued in front of your eyes is disgusting. Right. And the, the people that you should really worry about too, are the ones that are on pensions, right? State pensions, local government pensions, um, even corporate pensions in a lot of cases, like go back and look at like, you know, Carl Icahn and what he did taking over all of those corporate pension programs and just basically gutting them of their ability to, to produce cash flow. Well, what's going to happen when these, all these people go to start drawing on their pensions and we're running into this wall that is the sovereign bond debt bubble. Um, it's, it's going to be rocky. It is going to be rough. How do you, how do you think that's going to, have you, have you got like a plan up your sleeve for, for when that day comes? You, um, what are you thinking? My, my plan is, you know, just to own as much Bitcoin as I can so that I can um, try to be, try to, so, you know, money is power, right? And the more resources I have, the more people I'll be able to help later on down the line. You know, even if they don't listen to me today, and I get to go through the whole, well, I told you so, I told you so thing. Well, at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm not going to watch people around me suffer, right? I, I wouldn't want to do whatever I can to help as many people as I can, right? And and that, that's the only way that altruism works is if it's voluntary. Um, so I, I hope that, you know, being in Bitcoin as early as really all of us that have been in um, for the last couple of years, you're early, you're still really early and you might have the resources to be able to help a lot of people in the future. And that might be necessary. Um, so, you know, keep that in your mind. Try not to let the other people's salt um, jade your, your view of the world because uh, humanity can quickly turn on you. That is, is that one thing that you, that you kind of worry about? Like I, I was having this discussion with a bunch of Bitcoiners the other day and I, I fear that the next round of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt for listeners that might be scratching their head. Um, we, we've had as much FUD as I can. I think you can throw at Bitcoin now and it just keeps coming back and, and stronger because like, you know, long Bitcoiners, right? The, the, the way, so the, the FUD can come, oh, the Bitcoin uses too much energy, it's going to boil the oceans. And you've got this group of guys that can think critically about it and come on the podcast and shoot all of these narratives down and arm us with the with the narrative ourselves to, to be able to shoot that down. And I think what's coming next is, you know, it's it's these guys' fault that the system has failed. Mm -hmm. It's these guys' fault that they built this Bitcoin network. And because they did this and because they tricked so many people into believing it and because so many people have bought it now it's become too big and this is what's taken down the the fiat or legacy system i think that's the the kind of shit they're going to try and pull yeah so i mean and and definitely like based on what you're seeing right now you know with the with the cultural revolution and like these seeds of marxism and and really what it is because it's extremely useful to use class warfare for these types of things and and that's what you see right you see the proletariat, the oppressed little man oppressed by the capitalist, right? Everyone, like you see this all the time on Twitter. Sometimes it's, it's useful to just sort of scroll normie Twitter to see like what they think and what they say. 
you know, they all hate Jeff Bezos. Why? Because he's too rich and I'm too poor, right? I hate his success. I hate his wealth. They have no problem using his product, which has revolutionized just about everybody's life. The way that we all do things today are different because of Amazon, right? So like, I, I don't think that anybody would disagree with that, but he doesn't deserve his wealth. That's what, that's what they say, right? I should have some of that. He's the greedy capitalist because they don't understand that wealth is not a zero sum game, right? That wealth is created by entrepreneurs who make our lives easier and that your life is better today because of those entrepreneurs that have made your life better. Uh, and, and their wealth should be protected. It should be looked up at. It should be respected. It should not like granted. Yeah. Legal monopolies, fiat money, all that thing, all those things distort like what should normally be the natural market process. And I'm not here to argue that all of Bezos's net worth is totally deserved by him. And there weren't some maybe foul play in some of that, you know, like with the legal monopolies and all that. It's irrespective of the underlying principles, right? Which are necessary for the flourishing of society. Um, yeah, I think yeah, that, that's... Well, there's a, there's a big misunderstanding between what capitalism is and what socialism is uh, and what communism is. And I was guilty of that. I've only started really learning more and more about that as, as Bitcoin has taught me. Uh, and by listening to, to so many different people and different minds and thoughts, um, it's, it's truly a fascinating space to be, to be a part of. And the, the more people that we can pull into the rabbit hole and, you know, help take the orange pill and, and start just questioning one aspect of their life. I don't want to leave on such a somber note. So like, I, I do want to add to that, that I, my, it's my hope and, and it's my belief, you know, based on my understandings that Bitcoin um, has done and will continue to do enough to make th violence and theft unprofitable um, that, you know, th this, this, bubbling cultural Marxism, this bubbling cultural revolution will sort of just fizzle out because it has nothing to achieve. Um, and, and maybe that's wishful thinking because, you know, like go look at the Chinese communist revolution. They did not get what they wanted. Um, they did not get the, what they were promised, the, the chicken in every pot. Um, and, and maybe, you know, in some ways it's, it's sort of like just desserts for these societies that turn inwards on themselves that they, you know, end up in a much worse position. But um, my hope is that you know, between the, the nation states uh, monopoly on violence and, you know, these individual cultural revolutions rising up and trying to find profit in violence. My hope is that Bitcoin makes violence unprofitable enough that um, we can we can just sort of step over that part and move into uh, a better and brighter future. And let's hope in a couple of generations time, you, you have a son or daughter that makes WTF happened in 2021.com. Well, we actually already own um, 2020. I don't know about 2021, but so that should be did, interesting. Did, did, there's got to be an inflection point. Was it 2020? Was it 2021? That, you mean in regards to Bitcoin? Yeah. Like, you know, what, what, what will they be looking at? in 50 years time like we look back at 1971 and we can pin the tail on the donkey we're mm -hmm. like man what the hell when will it be you know we'll never know because we're living it right now and um you, you might be able to you know 
but it's when it happens, it's going to happen a lot quicker, I think, than than many people uh, expect. This, call it whatever you want, Great Awakening, Renaissance. Um, you know, you can use any kind of um, terminology that you like. But when you look, when you do study history, and you look back at these other points in history where there has been that turning, <clears throat> a fourth turning, whatever you want to call it, it happened over several decades probably it was slow mm -hmm. they didn't have the technology we have now like technology is so it's gonna it, because technology speeds everything up it's gonna speed up that this kind of secular shift into some into the our next stage of of right like uh human society yeah. how do you how do you feel about that when when you're thinking about the next five to ten years no, I, I think, and this is why I say that Tina's too bearish. And like, I really do mean that. Like I'm saying it tongue in cheek, but I also mean it. Um, change is exponential, like now, so much more exponential than it was in the past. Like just look at the adoption curves of things as we've moved into the information age, they grow more and more exponential. Um, I, I believe truly Bitcoin is the most exponential technology ever created because it's on top of the internet and the internet is already an exponential information medium. Things spread virally. Right. And that's why, you know, you can have a video of a cat get 250 million views within a month. Right. It's just the nature of the way information propagates on the network. Bitcoin is money. Right. And it has this built in technology called number go up that makes more and more people come back to it and pay attention to it and want to get involved because they have FOMO. Right. It preys on this natural instinct that all humans have, which is greed. Right. And it's just a beautiful feedback loop that brings more and more people into this network and the network grows and grows and grows until it just takes over everything. Are you going to put a number on it? Do you, do you want to do some high time preference kind of in five uh, to 10 years price predictions? Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, and this is what, like, it's no secret. I don't like stock to flow. I think it's dumb. I don't like, um, not, not stock to flow, like the idea of like analyzing stock to flow ratio. I don't like stock to flow price modeling. I think it's dumb. Um, it's not a secret that I think that, and you know, how, how can you predict the price of anything? Right. Because that's the problem. Um, the, the ruler keeps getting changed every single day. Like the, the me measuring stick gets made shorter or longer or whatever, uh, by the federal reserve. So how can you accurately economically calculate anything you can't um i think it's very possible that within the next i i think we'll, we'll we may hit a million dollars just on you know if if we continue this trend of like cycles around the having which i don't know that we will for too much longer because each having is more insignificant than the last um just because it's, it's affecting the the stock to flow less and less well it's not affecting the stock to flow less and less it's affecting the issuance less and less because it's such a smaller percentage each time and yeah that number is going up nominally in dollars but in terms you know subsidy is decreasing and that's what's important so i think each having will have less of an impact than the last going forward um you know five to ten years we could easily see 10 20 30 50 million dollar bitcoin easily maybe more i don't think there's a better place to leave the uh the interview than than that that's <laughs> that's probably going to put a, a there's going to be some smash buying going on right now i think from a few listeners 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, go if you know, if you go and listen to like Raul Paul on like what Bitcoin did, like he, he'll have you believe that we're going to top out at like 10 trillion. And then like, there's just kind of going to go sideways from there because the liquidity is going to be so deep. He does not understand that this, this commodity is so scarce. It is so finite relative to the total demand. Like, and, and so many of these hodlers, like they're not going to sell at a million dollars. They're not going to sell at $5 million. They may never sell. Like this is what these guys don't get. And and the, the demand for the underlying commodity is just going to continue to go up exponentially. And there 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 isn't enough. Like certainly not at these price levels. I mean, is Michael Saylor in the market to buy back some melting ice cubes? Why? <laughs> for what? <laughs> I mean, whoever did that trade. Yeah, I sold those melting ice cubes. I'm gonna now, f- you know, reverse take, that position because I want those. <laughs> okay, like no, no, that's not the way this thing works. And when people kind of realize that, it's yeah, yes, of course. I mean, let's let's be realistic. Some people might sell some to release themselves from their fiat soul sucking job, and all power to you if, if that's what you're going to do or to to buy a house and you know live happily uh with, with your family in that in that position but they, they're not going to sell everything they'll, they'll sell a, a tiny amount or as preston and i were talking recently you're going to get to the position in the next three to five years where you'll be able to lend as collateral mm-hmm. and borrow the fiat you need mm-hmm. in in those situations and this is a whole different paradigm and it's whenever you you start going down these these trains of thought the the dots are still all over the place and people are still trying to pull them into line and when they do a line it's going to be it's going to be amazing it's it's going to be crazy it's uh, and i can't wait for it to happen i'm very very bullish on the future total optimism for for my kids and and the the world that they're going to be uh, experiencing and, and growing up in because of this technology. I agree wholeheartedly. All right, man. Well, let's leave it there. I really appreciate you coming on, but um, let's make sure the listeners can, can come and find you. Please, please shill the website again. And uh, how, how can people come and find you, man? So our, our website, it's probably no secret. Most of your listeners probably have heard of it. If not, uh, it's WTF happened in 1971.com. It's a great thing to show your no coiner friends or just your, your pre coiner normies or some random person at a bar. A lot of times they won't be interested, but if they are interested, they'll get hooked fast and they'll be like, Oh, what, what happened? Um, it's a great, great resource. And I was totally an accident. So don't, don't, don't come at me. Like I'm a genius. Um, it was all Ben's idea. And then, if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at heavily arm C, uh, the letter C and I will, my DMS are open. So if you ever have any questions or you just want to chat, just hit me up. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Taking the time. Really appreciate it. And thanks for everything you're doing with the website and the, the work that you do on your own podcast and getting this message out to as many people as possible. Really appreciate it. Thanks a bunch, Daniel. I really appreciate you having me on. It was fun. Hey guys, thank you for tuning into that edition and thanks for listening to Colin and I go down the rabbit hole and a big shout out to, to Colin for, for coming on the show. 
and and sharing what he shared um you know he he said during the interview and after he'd spoken about some things on this show he's he's never really talked about before and i I hope that uh, is well received and um please reach out to him like he said his dms are open we're all here for uh for to to interact with each other and try and figure this whole thing out right and and try and help as many people as we can as we go as we learn and and that's what the space is all about that's what i find so unique and interesting about this space and to colin's point earlier in the show talking about austrian economics how he finds that so intuitive i think that's so true across the board with everybody that comes into bitcoin and starts learning about it it is intuition it just makes sense whereas the nonsense of economic theory that we've had our whole lives you know those those brick walls just start crumbling down when you look through a different lens all of these years that you might have been completely convinced that you didn't understand finance or you didn't understand markets or investments of course you wouldn't you're not supposed to none of it makes any sense that's why it's there for a reason to confuse and obfuscate it's just so nice now to be in a position where you can hold on to something that is bitcoin that is outside of that system and that will accrue over time in value and give you much more time to think to breathe to do the leisure activities that you want to do and to spend time with the people you want to spend time with and one day travel and do whatever it is that you want to do and that is the power of bitcoin and it's truly amazing and every time we have these discussions these things just keep coming up and up again go listen to john vallis's show he talks about this in great deeper uh, you know detail and uh, it's just great to uh, to to see colin coming on and, and sharing his insights and doing his own podcast and if you guys have not seen wtf happened in 1971 this website i would say is probably responsible for a huge number of orange pills it's just a ridiculous amount it's just so good to show people people that are scared of even thinking about looking into the rabbit hole this website just send it to them and say look just scroll through this it's so easy to digest it's all in pictorial form and it's so powerful so definitely check that out wtf happened in 1971 follow it on twitter retweet it send that link to as many people as you can let's help colin and ben at mr cool bp who um mr cool b who is the the co-creator of that site and ben's been on the show as well very early he was like the third guest that was some raw footage if you want to go back and fish that out but ben's a really cool guy as well and and now helping out Peter on on uh, the What Bitcoin Did podcast. So I'm rambling. Thanks for sticking around, guys. Thanks, Colin, for coming on. Just so great to have you in the space and doing what you do. And before I sign out, uh, I'm going to quickly shill the companies that uh, are supporting the show and will support you on your journey into the Bitcoin rabbit hole and help you stack sats and help you learn and educate you as you go. Fiat cost averaging, this is what we're calling it, FCA. If you want to do this in the UK, you can do it at coinfloor.co.uk. If you want to do it across Europe, you can do it at relay.ch, R-E-L-A-I.ch. 
If you want to do it in the US, swanbitcoin.com. All of these websites use forward slash bitten. That will take you there and that will get you in the affiliate program. Different companies are doing different things. Swan kick you off with free 10 bucks. Uh, um, Coinfloor and Relay, they're going to cut commission for you. But the super cool thing about all three countries is once you're signed up and you're a member and you're stacking and you want to help your friends start stacking or your family, you can create your own link and help them save on commission as well. So it's a really great system that they've got going on. All three companies do that. Create your own link. Then you've got to start taking control of these coins. If you're on the network, you want that. You want those addresses. You want those coins to be yours under your control. Don't leave them on the apps. Don't leave them on the exchanges. Not for long. To begin with, sure, get comfortable. But once you start building up over time and building confidence, the next level is to look into the hardware wallet save yourself any noise and go for a bitcoin only hardware wallet shiftcrypto.com forward slash uh, excuse me shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten use that and you'll get a five percent discount on the bitbox o2 bitcoin only wallet these guys are all bitcoiners they're all bitcoin companies This is a Bitcoin podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you're sharing, tweeting, reviewing, rating, whatever it is you do, you're supporting the show in some way, I really appreciate it. If you would like to learn a little bit more about myself, you can go and check my book out. It's called Choose Life. You can find that across Amazon, paperback, or Kindle. No audio as yet, but I'll get around to it. So thank you very much for listening. Take care, guys. I'll see you on the next show. Have a great uh, morning, afternoon, evening, night, wherever you are in the world. Be good.